All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. It's really good to have you with us today if you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message online. Hey, before I dive in, I want to give a plug for next weekend. We have Greg Speck coming to speak at our church. Greg Speck spoke at our church last year, and even though it was a lower-attended weekend in June, his message was our most-viewed message online for the whole year. That's right. Bob and I spoke 24 times each. And this guy comes prancing in and takes the top spot. I'm not bitter. I'm not. But this year, we stuck him in July, which is the worst attended month of the year. So let's see how you do this year, Speckles. No, I'm I'm kidding. It's the only weekend we could get him. He's booked. He's a very well-known national speaker. Greg is hands down the funniest communicator that you are ever going to see. But even more important than that, he's not afraid to challenge you with biblical truth. It's going to be a great weekend that you won't want to miss. That's next weekend. This weekend, we are continuing on in our series called I Don't Get It. Because no matter if you've grown up in church your whole life or if you're brand new to church in the last couple weeks, I'm guessing that there's some parts of Christianity where you go, I don't get it. Why do they do that? What's the point of that? I'm excited to speak on today's topic because I can remember as a brand new believer thinking to myself, I don't get it. That just seems so weird to me. When I was growing up, I didn't go to church, didn't go on Christmas, Easter, nothing. In fact, the first time I ever went, I wandered into a Catholic mass when I was in college, was wearing a Wu-Tang Clan t-shirt, which was a rap group that I liked at that time, and basketball shorts. And I was mortified to find that all of my peers were wearing collared shirts and khaki pants. Going up to receive communion felt like the death march of shame. I almost quit after that experience. But thankfully that summer, I got plugged in at a great church. And one of the first times that I went, we did something that I thought was so strange. We sang out loud in front of other people. Now, some of you are thinking, well, what did you expect? We do that every week. Well, yeah, I know that now. But at the time, having not grown up in church or sung in the choir when I was in high school or something like that, that was a brand new experience. I mean, where else do you sing in front of a group of people? A karaoke bar, maybe, but that's about it. And so the only time I can remember singing out loud growing up was in the shower, And thankfully, there was no one else there to hear that. So this is a brand new experience for me. And I've told this story before, but one of the first times that I was ever in church, we were singing this song called, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. It was a popular worship song in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it's a really simple song. It just has one verse and one chorus. And the chorus goes like this. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. That's the chorus. And because there's only one verse, you end up singing the chorus over and over again. So I'm standing in church and we're on the chorus of this song for about the eighth straight time. And I remember thinking to myself, we're going to do it. We are going to sing of his love forever. And then I started thinking, you know, the song says, I could sing of your love forever. Doesn't say we should. Doesn't even say we're going to. So let's just say to God, I could sing of your love forever, but my back's killing me, so I'm going to sit down now. 
And right as I'm having these thoughts, I looked across the aisle and I saw this woman standing there like this. And I thought, does she have a question? (laughs) She's trying to get the worship leader's attention. Excuse me, do you realize we've sung this chorus eight straight times? (laughs) Just checking. I had never seen someone raise a hand before. I didn't get it. Then I looked across the other aisle and I saw this man who wasn't even singing. But his eyes were closed and I could see tears faintly coming down his face. And I felt like crying myself because that's because my legs were so sore. But he seemed like he wanted to cry for a different reason. It's because he loved God so much. And I remember at that time in my life wondering, what does he have that I don't? Because I wanted to love God like that. I wanted to feel that way about God. But at that time, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. That's the title of today's message. I don't get it. Worship. Now, there's a lot of things with worship that we may not understand. First and foremost, what does the word worship even mean? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But let's start with just singing. When we're singing, who are we singing to? This will show you how unchurched I was, but I actually asked someone that question one time. I said, who are we singing to? And they looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, "Uh, God. And I said, well, yeah, I know we're singing to God, but I can't see God. He's, He's invisible. Can we just acknowledge for a moment that it might look weird to other people to watch us standing and singing to an invisible God? I mean, anytime I'm with a group of people and we're singing happy birthday, I awkwardly stare at my feet and kind of avoid eye contact and I don't want to sing real loud. All that to say, singing doesn't come all that natural to me. And maybe it doesn't come natural to you as well. But I want to read to you a few of these verses from the Bible. First Chronicles 16 says, sing to him, sing to God, sing praises to him, tell of all of his wonderful acts. Psalm 33 says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Now I want you to notice that God never says, hey, if you got a great voice, I'd love to hear it. He never says, you know, if you really like to sing, if you grew up in choir, then, then this is for you. He simply gives a command, sing, which is interesting, isn't it? Why does he command us to sing and not talk or yell or something like that? I've always kind of wondered that question. And I don't have the perfect answer for you, but other than to say, why did God create colored fish and sunsets that last for 20 minutes? Why not just have the sun disappear out of the sky immediately? Why does it linger? in a cascade of color for 10 or 20 minutes sometimes. I believe it's because God values beauty. He created it to move our souls, and that's what music does. It moves your soul. That when you see a gifted singer or musician, and they're using their God-given talent to declare how good God is, there's something about that that moves a person. But even that doesn't explain why God is so insistent, why he commands that we sing. I was talking to a young man recently, and he raised an interesting question. He said, how insecure is God that he needs us to constantly tell him how great he is? And that's what a lot of people think, by the way. They think that God is this egotistical maniac up in heaven. And he's up in heaven going, tell me how great I am. 
Come on, sing with me. How great is our God? Sing with me. And what I had to tell this young man was, I think you got it a little twisted. God doesn't need you to tell him how awesome he is. He's not insecure. He's not up in heaven going, it's been a really tough week. Can you boost my self-esteem a little bit? God doesn't command us to praise him because he needs it. He commands us to praise him because we need it. I like how Pastor Carl Lentz has phrased this. He says it this way. He says, worship is a weapon. In other words, when we're singing to God, we're not just holding hands and singing kumbaya. We are reminding ourselves that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he's on our side. And that's a weapon against our problems and our discouragement. You see, if you're sick, you need to be reminded of who your healer is. If you're broke, you need to be reminded of who your provider is. If you're discouraged right now, you need to be reminded that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. And we are reminded of those things often when we gather together and we worship, when we sing of who God is and what he's done. Worship is a weapon. Maybe the best example of this in the Bible is found in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, there's two guys named Paul and Silas, and they've been thrown in prison. Now, why were they thrown in prison? Was it because they murdered somebody? No. Was it because they stole something? No, it wasn't that either. They set a slave girl free, and her master was so infuriated by his loss of income that he falsely accused Paul and Silas of a crime they didn't commit and had them thrown in prison. And that's how life is sometimes, isn't it? I mean, you can be doing everything right and you find yourself in a bad spot. And Paul and Silas are in a bad spot. What do they do? Let's, let's pick things up in verse 25. It says this, about midnight. Now, that's an interesting detail. Because midnight is often the darkest hour of your life. I mean, some of you would say midnight is that hour when you can't sleep, you're stressed out, you're anxious, you're worried, you may even have a panic attack. If you have panic attacks about death or something like that, you'll often notice that it's around midnight. It's the darkest hour. And some of you would say, you know what, I'm living in my darkest hour right now. What do Paul and Silas do? It says that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, some scholars believe they were singing Oceans by Hillsong United. <laughs> Trust is without border. You know, they were just letting it go in the prison. Actually, I don't know if that's true. We don't know what they were singing. But here's the question I want to ask you. When you are at your darkest hour, where do you turn to for help? Now, I ask that question because oftentimes people think of worship as something that's just for religious people. They think worship is something you do in church before you get to the message. And that's actually not true. Worship is more than just singing. Singing is worship, but worship is more than just singing. In fact, every single human being worships something. You might say, well, I don't know if I worship anything. I, I, I'm not religious. I'm just spiritual. Or, you know, I don't believe in all this dogma and doctrine and that kind of thing. I don't worship that sort of thing. 
But worship is simply what you adore and focus on the most, which means that every single person worships something. I heard this story a while back, and I don't know if it's true or not, but every year in the state of Kentucky, the big basketball game is between the University of Kentucky and the University of Louisville. In-state rivals, they call it the dream game. And so one night, this man shows up at the dream game, and he sits down next to this older woman. And he can't help but notice that on the other side of her is a vacant seat. Well, that's unheard of. It's hard to get a ticket to any University of Kentucky basketball game, let alone the dream game. And so he turns to this woman, he goes, how did you get an empty seat next to you? And she goes, well, my husband and I were season ticket holders for 28 years. And for 28 years, we never missed a game. She said that was his seat, but he's passed away. And this man felt rather sorry that he had brought up kind of a sensitive subject, but he couldn't help himself. He said, well, couldn't you find a family member to take you to the game? I mean, I'm sure they would have loved to be here for this. And the older woman looked at him and she said, are you kidding? They're all at my husband's funeral. (laughs) We all worship something. Some people worship college basketball and sports. Other people worship their kids and their kids' sports. Some people worship success, popularity, money, sex, power, acceptance. The list goes on and on. Paul and Silas, they worship Jesus. That's who they turn to in their darkest hour. In fact, look at what it says in the next verse. It says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake So here Paul and Silas are, they're in prison, they're singing to God, and all of a sudden the ground begins to shake. It says, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All of the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Let me ask you, what has you in chains these days? Some of you are going to have to think about your answer to that question for a little bit, but others of you... The moment you hear me say, what has you in chains, you're going, oh, alcohol, pain meds, debt, anger, anxiety. You you can just feel that it has you in chains. It has you in bondage. And no matter how much you try and try and how much you want and you wish, it feels like you have this inability to be set free. Here's what I want you to hear today. Your chains can fall off. That when you begin to sing about who God is and what God has done, there is a power in the name of Jesus Christ to break every chain. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that your addiction, your anger, or your anxiety is just going to miraculously go away when you start singing a song or two. It's because worship isn't just about singing. Worship is more about surrendering. That when you come before God and you go, God, I believe in you. I trust you. I love you. And by faith, I receive Jesus Christ in my life. I surrender to him. That's when a few chains might start to fall off in your life. In fact, maybe you've been in worship before and you've seen a person raise a hand from time to time as they sing. 
And maybe you're like me and you wonder, well, why would a person do that? Part of the reason is because raising your hands is the international sign of surrender. When I was in college, I took a trip over to the country of Turkey. I was studying the Bible over there. And one night, the Vikings were in a playoff game. And so I left my hotel to go over to an internet cafe so I could get an update on the score. This is before, you know, phones and having internet and all that. And when I got done with the game, I went back and there was a gate on my hotel that had been shut. So my only way to get back to my room was to climb this wall. And I was partway up the wall when I heard footsteps pounding the pavement behind me. I turned around and there was a Turkish security guard with a gun pointed right at my head. Now, I don't know Turkish and this guy didn't know English. So this is quite the international moment we were having. What did I do? I got my hands up in the air. I didn't dab (laughs) and hope he thought that was really cool and let me live. I didn't go, peace out, dude, what's up? I got my hands up in the air because that's the international sign of surrender. In the same way, when a person raises a hand in worship, sometimes what they're saying is, God, I, I surrender my life to you. Or maybe what they're saying is almost like in a court of law, that God, what I am singing right now is so true, and I believe it, I just, I just testify, and so physically I'm, I'm showing that with my hands and with my body. Now some of you say, you know what, I just don't feel comfortable raising a hand in worship, and I would say to you, that is absolutely fine. In fact, think about this with me for just a moment. Do you think it would be possible for someone to have a hand in the air? but not actually be surrendering to God in their heart? Yeah, I think that's possible. And do you think it would be possible for someone to be standing there like this with their arms crossed, but in their heart, they're actually surrendering themselves to God? I think that's possible as well. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 15. He's talking about the Pharisees, and and they were religious people who liked to be noticed. They liked to be noticed for their spirituality. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then he uses this word. He says, they worship in vain. These people were singing the songs. They were honoring God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. Jesus calls that kind of worship empty, vain, meaningless, because it's not so much about the posture of your hands as it's about the posture of your heart. Going back to Acts chapter 16, you'll remember that the ground began to shake and there was an earthquake and the prisoner's chains fell off. It says this, the jailer woke up to see the prison door wide open and he assumed that the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted out to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. Now, I just want you to know that if I was falsely put in prison for a crime that I didn't commit, and all of a sudden the door flew open and my chains came off, I'm out, okay? I'm not sticking around like Paul did. But not only that, Paul talks this jailer out of killing himself. Now, I know this is in the Bible, so we sort of just go, oh, yeah, of course. But just a few verses earlier, it said that this was the jailer who put Paul in the inner dungeon, And he clamped his feet into stocks. 
We wouldn't blame Paul for going, do it, run it through. But instead, Paul says, stop. Worship will do that to you. It'll give you a love for people that you otherwise wouldn't have. You know, you can be coming to church with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you're in the car and you're kind of just in this argument. You're like, well, you just, you just like your mother. You're just going back and forth. And then you get into church and you start singing to God. And you're like, I love you, Lord. But then something happens. And partway through the music, all of a sudden you can feel your heart softening. And you might sit down for the message and just reach over and grab their hand. Because God has softened your heart and given you this love that you otherwise couldn't have. Worship is a weapon. Look at what it says in the next verse. The jailer, he's so moved by Paul and what he did. He says, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Spiritually speaking, that jailer, his chains just fell off. Physically, Paul's chains fell off. But spiritually speaking, that jailer, his chains just fell off. He got set free. Free from shame, free from condemnation, free from sin. He was free. And the same can happen for you today as well. When you come before God and you go, God, I believe in you. I love you. I trust you. I receive you by faith and I surrender my life to you. That's when a few chains might start to fall off. But some of you say, but how? I talk to people all the time who go, you know what? I come to church. I want to enter into worship. I want to sense God's presence. I want to be filled up with his love, but I just don't know how to do that. Well, let me give you two ways that you can enter into worship. And my prayer today is that as you do this, the chains that are holding you back in life would begin to fall off. Here's the first way that you can enter into worship. It's this, you got to prepare your spirit. Now, I realize that for some of you, Just getting to church takes a heroic effort. I mean, just making sure that everybody has two matching socks, two shoes, and no food on their face is a massive achievement. I mean, really, you don't realize this, but you ought to sit down in church before the service starts, and you ought to sit down in your chair like this. Just be like, I'm the boss. I'm the man. I got everybody to church today with matching socks and no food on their face. That is a heroic effort. And so I realize that. But I want you to, I want to ask you to make one more heroic effort. Don't just get your body here. Prepare your spirit as well. And it's the truth of human nature that we prepare for what's important to us. If you're a football player and you got a big game coming up, you're going to watch film. You're going to practice. You're going to prepare for that. If you're a salesperson and you got a big pitch coming up next week, you're going to rehearse that. You're going to prepare for that. If you're going on a date, you're going to prepare. Some of you spent more time preparing for the date than you did actually going on the date. Some of you say, I had more fun preparing for the date than I actually did going on (laughs) the date. You see, the truth is we prepare for what's important to us. With that in mind, how prepared are you to worship God? You see, if just coming to church once a week is not enough to have a close relationship with God, 
You say, I want to have a close relationship with God. I would say, just coming to church, and that's all you do once a week, is not going to be enough to have a close relationship with God. The pull of culture is just too strong. Let me try to prove this to you. In 1998, they did a survey of teenagers, and they asked them different questions regarding history versus pop culture. And what they found was that 41% of teenagers could not name the three branches of government. Or excuse me, 41% could name them. 41% could name the three branches of government, so like 60-some percent could not. Then they asked them, how many of you can name the three stooges? 57% said, yeah, yeah, I got that. Can't name the three branches of government, can name the three stooges. At that time, less than 75% of teenagers knew the name of the vice president. It was Al Gore at that time. But over 90% of them said, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio is the main actor in the movie Titanic. One third of them could not even give the date for the War of 1812. I just made that one up, but probably true, right? My point is that we live in a world that is immersed in pop culture. Pop culture is king. And so what happens then when you come to church? And all week it's been CNN, Fox News, ESPN, Yahoo, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, YouTube, video games. And then you come to church and you try to engage with God in a meaningful way. A God who exists in spirit. Who you can't see with your physical eyes. There's no explosions. There's no loud noises. There's no pixels of color flashing across the screen. That's hard to do. It's why a lot of us say, you know what? I just don't feel close to God. What if you this year said, I'm not just going to get my body to church, but I'm going to prepare my spirit. At least four or five times a week, I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to read and I'm going to pray and I'm going to spend time with God. So that when I come to church, it's not like, oh, I haven't seen you in a week. How have you been, God? But it's, I've been living with you almost every day of this week. What if you said this year, I'm not just going to be a spectator when I come to church, but I'm going to be a participant. Some of you might say, you know what? I'm going to sing the songs. You've never done that before. But you say, you know what? I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to start to sing the songs. Some of you say, maybe, you know what? I could close my eyes and block out distractions instead of looking around at everything and everything going on. Some of you might say, you know what? I'm going to raise a hand when I'm singing something that is just so true that I just want to express that physically to God. Others of you would say, you know what? I, I just don't feel comfortable singing the songs out loud. And again, that's perfectly fine. But maybe you say, you know what? I'm going to look at the lyrics and I'm going to think about what they mean and how they apply to my life. And on the way to church, I'm going to say a short prayer. God, would you meet me at church? And maybe as I'm sitting and waiting for things to start, I'll pull my phone out. And I'll go on the YouVersion Bible app and I'll read a couple verses and think about what God has done in my life that week because I want to prepare my spirit. Here's the second way that you can enter into worship to praise God at all times. Look at what David says in Psalm 34. He says, I will praise the Lord at all times. Not just when I'm in church, not just when life's going really well or life's not going very well. Not just when I feel like it or there's a worship song that I really, really like. He says, I am going to praise God at all times. 
Praise is powerful. In fact, you could even say that praise is a problem for your problems. I don't know what your problems in life are today, but I'll tell you this. When you start to praise God, those problems are in trouble. Those problems are going to start to seem a little bit smaller. I had one of my sons recently who was discouraged. And I said to him, I said, give me three reasons you have to praise God. And he was like, boom, boom, boom. Completely changed his attitude. Praise is a problem for your problems. Look at what David goes on to say a little bit later in Psalm 34. He says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. Let me ask you, anyone here today feel crushed in spirit? You feel the weight. You're carrying the burden. And you can just feel that your spirit is being crushed a little bit. Anyone brokenhearted? over a death, over a loss, over a relational fallout or breakup in your life. The Bible says that God is close to you. He's just one prayer away. And so let's call to him. Let's sing to him. Let's sing about who he is and what he's done. God is the light of this world. Without him, our world would be filled with sin and darkness. God created all things. He knows all things and he can do all things. God spoke the universe into existence. He created the world with his voice. Psalm 19 verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And they do. There are over 10 trillion galaxies each of which has over a hundred billion stars. And each of them is shining to declare the glory of God. I was at a hotel recently off the ocean. And I could see the hotel pool and then I could see the ocean beyond that. And I couldn't help but think what I heard another pastor say one time. That's a man pool. And that's a God pool. And God holds that ocean in the palm of his hand and he also holds you in the palm of his hand. That he gives strength to the weak. He gives rest to the weary. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient and his love never fails. God is holy. He is so holy that you could not see the face of God and live. That is how holy and set apart he is. It says that his anger, his wrath is being poured out on all sin and injustice. But God sent his son, Jesus, to take that punishment, to take that wrath and anger upon himself. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die but will have eternal life. King Herod couldn't kill Jesus. Death couldn't defeat him. And the grave couldn't hold him. And that is why we sing. And so at all of our campuses, would you join me and stand right now? And we are going to sing of who our God is and what our God has done. And my prayer for you today, that as you sing, the chains in your life that have held you back, 
they would begin to fall off. 